This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. From Hollywood, it's time now for. Johnny Dollar. This is Bill Chadwick, Northwest Shorty Company. Howdy, Bill. How are things in Seattle? Oh, not bad, Johnny. Not bad. You tell me, have you ever fallen for the spell of the Yukon? What are you trying to do? Sell me some mining stock? No, but there's a mine I'd like to have you take a look at. Up in the Yukon? Well, actually, it's across the border in Alaska. It's a gold mine, a big one, sitting on top of a rich vein. And, uh, why don't you fly on out here and let me tell you about it? Why not? Shall I bring my own pick and shovel? Uh, no. No, Johnny. Huh? Just be sure you bring your gun. Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. And now, act one of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Northwest Surety Company, Seattle, Washington office. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the Midnight Sun matter. Item one, 164.35, transportation to New York, then a mainliner through Chicago to Seattle. The pilot gave us a beautiful view of Mount Rainier and Puget Sound before we sat down, and at 4 p.m., I was in Bill Chadwick's office at 2nd Avenue and Yesler Way. Oh, I'm glad to see you, Johnny. It's been a long time. Yeah, hiya, Bill. Yeah, you sit up. Okay. Now, what was that crack over the phone about bringing along a gun? Well, the men who moil for gold are a pretty tough bunch, Johnny. And sometimes it even goes for the management of a big mining operation. Like what, for instance? Like Universal Consolidated Mining Corporation. Where's that? Uh, it's north and east of Fairbanks. Alaska. Huh? Yes, even north of Fort Yukon. That means above the Arctic Circle. And what's happened up there? Now, the whole thing sits at the foot of a big glacier. Oh? No problem until recently. Now, through some freak of nature, that glacier is changing its course. No kidding. And from the look of things, maybe a couple of months, maybe a couple of years, or even ten years... Anyhow, they seem to think that glacier is going to sweep down over the mines, the town, everything. I see. In which case, our company would have to pay for the whole loss. An all-coverage policy, huh? Yeah. And it's occurred to me, Johnny, suppose they've suddenly run out of that rich vein they found up there. You mean that somehow they deliberately caused that glacier to destroy the whole operation? It's a possibility, isn't it? Well, a pretty far-fetched one, if you ask me. Change the course of a glacier? A few sticks of dynamite carefully oh, placed. Oh, come off it, Bill. Did you ever see a glacier? Well, why should one that's been following the same path for thousands of years suddenly decide to head for a few million dollars worth of well-insured property? And look, go up there and take a look, will you? Okay, how do I get there? One of the company's planes is taking off from here tomorrow morning. They have their own airplanes? Oh, sure, a lot of them. Big two-engine speedcraft transports. How else do you think they'd get men and supplies up there? Anyway, you can go along with him. Okay? Okay, why not? 
Who knows? Maybe I'll strike it rich, come back loaded with nuggets. Item two, 31 bucks even for my room at the Benjamin Franklin and a night on the town. The following morning, well, I suppose I should have wondered why a big cargo plane should take off from a tiny airport far out of town with only the pilot and me on board. Yep, I should have wondered. truly Johnny Dollar in a moment. And now for another episode in the life of Sergeant Donald Bellwether, my husband. Good morning, Mrs. Bellwether. Would my lady prefer to have her breakfast in bed this morning? Oh, what a perfect husband. Thank you, darling. Ah. Here's the tray with the coffee, the toast, and the orange. Oh, fine. I forgot the orange juice. Uh, hold the tray, honey. I'll be right back. Ooh, ooh, oh, ooh, darling, ooh. what happened? Ooh, ooh, I stubbed my toe in a corner of the dresser. Uh, oh, the National Safety Council oh. was right. Uh, the what? Last night I read something in a National Safety Council pamphlet. Oh, Reba, and... how can you sit there talking about a pamphlet when I'm dying a slow, tortuous death? Oh, come over here, darling. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. Now, what's this about the National Safety Council? Did they predict I would stub my toe this morning? <laughs> no, silly. Mm. It's just a coincidence. Only last night I read the statistics that proved that more home accidents occur in the bedroom of all places. Yeah? Not the bathroom or the kitchen or the home workshop. The bedroom. Uh, okay, for, from now on, when I walk around the bedroom, I'm going to wear my combat boots instead of these open-toed hirachis. Well, that might help, dear. But what everyone should be most careful of is taking medicine in the dark. Okay, my living safety encyclopedia. I will now fetch your orange. Oh, you're sweet. And it's just too bad that you nice men are so prone to accidents in the home. And the reason is because you brave men usually tackle the hazardous jobs around the house. Hey, I'll uh, remember those kind words as I slowly limp back to the kitchen. One thing in your favor, though, Sarge. Married men stand a better chance of avoiding fatal accidents in the home. Oh, uh, is that a fact? Mm-hmm. You know, in one state, 75% of the men involved in home mishaps were unmarried. Well, I'm sure glad I'm married. Because the accident odds are better? You know, because I like my wife. Even when she first wakes up in the morning. Mm, that's my Donald. That's my dog. And now, act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Midnight Sun Matter. Within a few minutes after I met him at the airport far east of town the next morning, Cliff Murray had the big twin-engine speedcraft airborne and we were heading north to Alaska. And in case you're interested, Dollar, you're the co-pilot on this run. Oh, are you kidding? The only things I've steered around the sky since the war have been Piper Cubs, small jobs. <laughs> you know something? 
When you get onto them, these babies are not only just as easy to fly, but a whole lot safer. Yeah. Want to take over for a while? Well, maybe later. Hey, how come you didn't take this big ship off at the Seattle Tacoma International Airport? Because of the cargo we have on board. Also, it was quicker and easier to get clearance. We're trying to make time on this trip. The boys up at the mine are a pretty worried bunch these days. Oh, why? There's a big glacier on one side of the property. Oh. It flows down to make the Kanakai River. When it gets warm enough, a couple of months in the year to melt. That's so? But there have been a couple of big ice quakes this spring. Just like earthquakes, only it's ice. Now that glacier's heading for the property. No kidding. That's going to wipe out the airport and everything. Unless they can do something about it. Like what? Divert the course of a glacier? The engineers up there say they can do it. And we've got the stuff for them right here. This cargo we're toting. What do you mean? Oh, didn't you know? Know what? Why, we got enough TNT aboard to move a dozen glaciers. Speaking of sitting on a powder keg... And this one had wings. But then after the first shock of realization wore off, well, I even took up Cliffy on his offer to handle the controls for a while. And he was right. The big plane behaved like a doll. By the time we reached Anchorage to pick up mail and food, why, I was all set to make the landing myself. However, with a cargo of TNT aboard, I was perfectly content to let Cliff set her down, which he did beautifully. Then within the hour, we headed north again over some of the wildest country I've ever seen. Beautiful, though, Johnny. Its own way. Yeah, I never realized there were so many lakes and streams up in this country, Cliff. Most of them are loaded with fish, too. Ah. Yes, sir. Stop. What is it? I I said, greatest fishing in this man's world is right down there below us. Oh, watch your language, brother. I'll have to strap on a chute and leave you to make the rest of the trip alone. (laughs) A fisherman, huh? Yeah, you aren't kidding. Yeah, one of my favorite spots, right? Hey, what's the matter? Nothing. Just a little twitch in my side, my belly. Doc said it was appendicitis last time, but I think didn't want to operate unless... Holy... Baby, that was a shark. What, Cliff, anything I can do? No, it, it's... It's going now. I sure hope so. Sure, sure. Just came on kind of sudden, so... Hey, it's time to call the lads at the mine to be ready for us. How big is the airport up there? Uh, 11,000-foot runway. Really? Sure. It's the only way to get stuff in for mines 100 miles around. Speedcraft 231, calling consolidated. Go ahead, please. Somebody on duty there at all times? Uh, 24 hours. 231, go ahead. We're over Fairbanks on the hour, Charlie. Roger, Cliff, over Fairbanks at 1,400 hours. Then roll out the carpet. We'll set down between 1445 and 50. Roger, Cliff. We'll be ready for you. And that's that. In less than an hour, Johnny, we... Johnny! Johnny, take over! Sure, Cliff. Never been this bad before. Now listen. No. You listen. No. No matter what happens, take it. Take it easy. I'll tell you exactly what to... You can do it, Johnny. You can do it. Now listen. Act three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. With your permission, there's something I'd like to talk about for a minute. You know... Too many times, people try to escape from their responsibilities by having someone else take them over. 
there was Miles Standish, for example. He was much too busy to ask Priscilla to marry him, so he sent John Alden to pop the question for him. You know what happened. John ended up marrying the girl himself. Of course, if John had had a face like a flat tire instead of being the handsome guy he was, maybe Miles Standish would have married Priscilla instead. Well, actually, I don't know what got me started on this subject, and unless it was my thinking about people who represent somebody else. Take our State Department, for example. Being a representative is one of its biggest jobs. Through the Foreign Service, it helps the Justice and Treasury Departments handle immigration, narcotic, and quarantine problems. And the Secretaries of Agriculture and Commerce look to the Secretary of State to help keep their fingers on the pulse of foreign markets so they can keep the business firms and farmers of America informed on matters of import and exports. I guess the only connection between these facts and the courtship of Miles Standish is that, like John Alden, our State Department speaks for itself. And now, Act Three of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar and the Midnight Sun Matter. The rest of this report will have to come to you from the records of the airport there at Universal Consolidated Mining Corporation, far above the Arctic Circle. Aboard the big cargo plane loaded with TNT, the pilot crippled with pain, I was a little too busy to make notes to scribble any fancy dialogue. Here, then, is the story as recorded at the tower of the airport. The time is 2.35. Well, there goes the boss's plane to pick up his daughter in Fairbanks, Charlie. Yeah. Hey, Paul, isn't Cliff about due with 231? He said he'd sit down at a... Speedcraft 231, calling consolidated. Hey, is that Cliff? Speedcraft 231, calling consolidated. It doesn't sound like him. Hello, Cliff. No, this is Johnny Dollar. Dollar? Yeah, yeah, it's his passenger. Uh, uh, go ahead, Johnny. Cliff is... Well, look, I've had to take over for him. He's sick. Cliff is... Cliff will give me whatever instructions I need. Uh, you, you, you sure you can make it, Johnny? Charlie. Johnny, this is Cliff. Go ahead, Cliff. Johnny can make it. Well, what about that, that cargo, that TNT? Can you dump it? I, I can't move to dump it, and Johnny can't leave the control. Okay, then, Johnny. We'll, we'll give you all the help we can from here. Thanks, Charlie. Have you passed the Snake River marker? In about two minutes, I think. Okay, now just remember, your letdown is on a heading of 035 degrees from that marker. 035 degrees from the Snake River marker, Roger. And, well, now just take it easy, Johnny, and we'll get you down here okay. Thanks, Charlie. Oh, looks like we may have a problem on our hands. Listen, if Cliff says Dollar can bring it down, he can. Just you take it easy when you talk with him. <laughs> Sure, Johnny. Stand by. Take it, Paul. Johnny, this is Paul Foster. Go ahead. Paul, we're having some trouble getting our landing gear down. So I'm, I'm going to make some steep banks and try to get it down by centrifugal force. Yeah, good. You, you might get the ground crew to stand by, though, because if we can't get 
the gear down that way. I guess we'll have to make a belly landing gear up. Uh, okay, Johnny, I got that. Uh, how much fuel have you got on board? About, uh, about 2,000 pounds. Johnny, this is Charlie again. Now, listen. Easy, Charlie. Oh, yeah. Uh, Johnny, I saw you make your pass. It appears the landing gear door is partially open, which may indicate it's jammed. Any suggestions? Uh, Paul again, Johnny. The only thing I can think of is try to snap the gear out by a sharp pull-up to give it uh, centrifugal force. I've tried that, Paul. Results are negative. All right. Then before we consider you coming in for a belly landing with all that TNT aboard, I'd like to use up some of that fuel. Maybe some of our brains down here can think of something that'll help you out. Okay. Okay, we'll go ahead with the regular procedures and whatever else we can think of, and then we'll give you another call. Okay, Johnny. The time is 2.41. Johnny? Uh, Johnny, this is Paul again. Have you tried to, uh, to, to shear the lock pin on that landing gear? Go ahead. Negative. No, we haven't tried that yet. We want to make sure the doors were not jammed partially closed and perhaps make it impossible to get all the gear up again. You know, if we do have to make a belly landing. Yeah. Uh, okay. Johnny, have you got full hydraulic pressure? Yes, that's affirmative. Okay. Now, the crew chief isn't up here at the moment, but I'll ask him to come up and uh, he can discuss it with you. Right. Uh, Johnny, if it does become necessary to make a belly landing because of the setup they have for handling accidents, you might be better off to do it at Fairbanks. Have you thought about that? I talked to Cliff here. He doesn't think they'd want us to try it with this TNT we've got aboard. Uh, well, uh, we'll radio to him and see... Meanwhile, if anybody comes up with any idea at all, we'll pass it on to you right away. Okay. I'll give you a gas check in a few minutes. Okay. The time is 2.50. Johnny, uh, Don Wilkins, our chief engineer, would like to talk to you. I'll put him on the horn. Johnny, this is Don Wilkins. Have you tried the landing gear handle up and down quite a few times? to see if it extends any further at any time. Yeah, we've tried it several times. Well, I think I'd try it as many times as possible, Johnny. There could be something binding that may break loose. Now, there's something on it. There... Well, it comes off the gear door latches, all right, so it isn't a latch. I'll try it a few more times. The time is... 3 o'clock. Exactly. <laughs> Johnny, this is Paul. How's your fuel situation stacking up now? Oh, we have about nine, nine fifty, about nine hundred sixty pounds. Well, for your information, Fairbanks have advised that they can't take your airplane there because they're jammed up and couldn't clear the field in time. Well, yes, okay. It doesn't look like we, like we have enough gas to go over there anyway. Johnny, this is Don Wilkins again. Go ahead, Don. If you feather the number two engine, and then just as you unfeather it, slam the gear handle down, well, maybe the additional torsion that you get may free the gear. Okay, Don, we've already tried that. We came up negative. I, I think we're stuck with that belly landing. Johnny, this is Paul. Uh, we'll get everything ready for you. Are you VFR in this vicinity? You know, under visual flight rules? Yes, affirmative. Johnny, there's one more thing we'd like to have you try. 
and that is completely unload your hydraulic system, and then try free-falling your landing gear. Did you get that? I did that twice, Don. No luck with it. But we'll try it again. All right, Johnny, fine. The time is 3.28. Johnny, we're going ahead with preparations for a belly landing down here. I, I see you buzzed the field a couple of times, so you know how much room you've got. You think it looks like much from up here? Now, now listen, we're going to foam the runway for you. You hear me? Put foam on it. We're doing it now, and that'll kill some of the friction. And if, if we can get enough on, it'll help against fire if you have any trouble. How's the wind down there? It's south, about three miles an hour, just light breeze. No, in case this thing slides off to one side or the other, right? I don't want to run down any of the other airplanes I can see down there. Not if we can help it. Okay, Johnny, take a run directly over the runway and get the feel of it. Will do. The time is 3.31. Johnny, we don't want to seem in the position here of telling you all your business, but I guess we've got to try everything anyone can think of. Yeah, go ahead. On this gear handle business, up and down, throw it in the up position. Just leave it there for a second, and then slam it down, and leave it down for, oh, say, 30 seconds after you put it down. You get that? Okay, we'll do that. Now, we hate to be giving you all this intelligence all the time, but if anybody gets an idea, we pass it on to you for what it's worth. But you've got to be the judge. We're glad you fellas are with us. The time is 3... 46. Johnny, how's your fuel now? I wouldn't bank on it much longer. All right. They're laying foam on the runway like crazy, but that foam's only going to last about 25 minutes. Now, assuming they started laying the foam at 30, you should land not later than 55. Yes, well, okay. You give us a word when it's completed. We're going to make one little pass and take a good look at everything. Then we'll come in and land. Okay. Roger, I got your remarks. The time is 3.51. Uh, hi, Johnny. I, uh, I just wondered how you are and how things look to you. Okay. You got a doctor standing by to take care of Cliff? Sure, sure. Everything's ready for you. One comment. Listen. Do not. Repeat. Do not feather the engines when you sit down. Got it. We'll comply. Okay, Johnny. Okay, we're all set, Don. We're going to make a practice pass over the field prior to the final landing. Okay, Johnny. I won't be talking to you anymore. Paul will take over on your approach and get you down. We have, we're all set for you when you arrive. Good luck. One minute, 48 seconds later, we've made a wheels-up landing. Cliff, the company doctor tells me his appendectomy was a complete success. A hard-bitten bunch of miners, did you say? Listen, those boys up in that lonely outpost are the salt of the earth. And as for trying to pull something on your insurance company... Well, you should have seen how just one good load of TNT put that glacier back on its course. 
Yes, sir. I hope the vein of gold never runs out for those boys. Expense account total, including gifts for the lads who really brought that plane down, $600 even. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, originates in Hollywood and is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone, who also wrote today's story. Heard in our cast were Gene Tatum, Frank Nelson, Russell Thorson, Barney Phillips, Harry Bartell, and Forrest Lewis. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Roy Rowan speaking. come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. everyone. The holiday season is upon us, and I'll be glued to the telly for BritBox on many a night. I've already shared with you the fact that I keep up with Father Brown and Poirot at BritBox. I also check out their new stuff, like the new series Archie, which tells the story of Archie Leach, otherwise known to millions of filmgoers as Cary Grant. This story comes from his daughter Jennifer Grant and ex-wife Diane Cannon. It's a series. The performance of Jason Isaacs, who plays Cary Grant, is top-notch. I highly recommend it. You can only find it on my favorite TV, BritBox. Sign up to BritBox today to stream Archie and other fan favorites today from any device. I have a special, limited-time offer for my U.S. and Canadian listeners. Get 50% off your first month when you sign up for a monthly plan, but only if you go to BritBox.com and use my promo code 1001STORIES. 
at checkout. Don't wait. Get 50% off your first month. Just use promo code 1001stories at BritBox.com. Try it. You'll like it. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Johnny, this is Lee Harkins, Continental Insurance and Trust Company. Lee, my old fishing pal. You still holding down the Ohio branch of the company there in Columbus? Yes, John, I am, but now look well, here. brother, I never will forget the great fishing you and I had over in Darby Creek a couple of years back. Look, John... And along about this time, every year, the urge really gets to me. Hey, have the streams cleared up yet from the spring rains? No, quite the contrary. As a matter of fact... How about a little Raccoon Creek down near Jackson? Boy, remember those big channel cats and the bass? Uh, Johnny, will you listen to huh? me? Oh, sure, I'm all ears. The big river has gone on a rampage again. Spring floods. You mean the Ohio? Yes, and every other river of any size. The rains are still coming down. I see. Whole towns are being washed away by the floodwaters. Death and destruction all over. Oh, I, I'm sorry, Lee. I didn't mean to sound so... Well, you know, mention fishing and I lose my head. Look, Johnny, I need you out here. Can you come right away? Well, sure. You see, any fishing we do may be for the bodies of people. <laughs> Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. And now, Act One of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Continental Insurance and Trust Company, Columbus, Ohio office. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the Wayward River matter. Expense account item one, $43 and a half transportation to New York and a flagship to Columbus, Ohio. It was 5.30 p.m. and raining hard when the big four-engine plane set down gently at Port Columbus Airport some seven miles out of town. My plan was to go into the Fort Hayes Hotel and call Lee Harkins from there. So after picking up my luggage, I headed for the door in a taxi stand. But Lee, it seems, had other ideas. Here, let me help you with your bags. Oh, it's all right, son. I'm just looking for a taxi to... Lee! Oh, my car's right out here, Johnny. The sooner we get started, the better. Here now, right through this door. Yeah, well, wait. The sooner we get started, where? Where are we going? To the town of Carteret, about 100 miles or so south. Now, come on, if you want to get sold. Oh, hey! Come on! What do you have a... Oh, whatever you say. Come on, I'll, I'll hop in. Oh, brother. Phew. Why didn't you tell me to bring a raincoat? Why don't you read the papers? Been raining like this for long? Off and on for three or four weeks. We may have a mean ride ahead of us. Uh, well, what's it all about, Lee? Well, the floods along the Ohio have been pretty severe this year, Johnny. They've been somewhat later than usual. Yeah, that much I did read about. Half a dozen of the big cities have been taking a real beating... In spite of all their preparations for the big runoff... I know. It's been through all over the country. Well, what you don't read about in the headlines, though, is the little places, like Carteret. 
My old hometown, Johnny. I've sold a lot of policies there, particularly to the local shopkeepers, you know, on their stocks and merchandise. So there's been a lot of flood damage, and your company's having to pay up a lot of claims. No, not yet. So far, the town's been lucky. Most of the recent bad storms have been across the state line, up in Pennsylvania or over in West Virginia. Same was true last year and the year before. So? So the people down around Carteret, farmers mostly, haven't gone ahead with their flood control project the way they should have. Is Carteret right on the Ohio? No, it's in a valley a few miles north. It's on the Crooked River. And parts of the town are actually below the riverbank. Now, you see what that means. Yeah, I sure can. Most of the year, it's a quiet, lazy stream about 50 or 60 feet wide. But when the feeder streams up in the hills start, pouring water down. And if it overflows? Uh, half the town will go with it. It's swept right down into the Ohio. We don't they know enough to prepare for this sort of thing? Johnny, like I say, they've been lucky so far. This present storm has been bigger and longer than anything they've ever had. Well, what about the State Flood Control Commission, or whatever it's called? Can't they do anything? Let's face it. What's a little bird like Carteret when there are a hundred bigger and more important towns in the same fix? Yeah, I see what you mean. Before the lines went down, I got a call from Fred Norlock, one of my big accounts down there. Big hardware firm. Unless the river goes down, he's going to lose the whole place. That means over a $100,000 insurance claim. But what can I possibly do, Lee? I don't know, Johnny. I just don't know. We were heading south on Route 23, and by the time we reached Chillicothe, the rain had led up to a drizzle. By the time we reached Jackson, where we left the main highway, it had led up entirely. But I noticed that every little stream we passed was overflowing its banks. Finally, it must have been after midnight, we pulled up on a low hill overlooking the town of Carteret. And it started to rain again, to rain hard. Below us, the Crooked River was a terrible, terrifying thing to watch. Power lines were out, but maybe hundreds of kerosene and gasoline lanterns, flashlights and lights from cars showed only too plainly the perils of the brown, rushing, raging torrent that threatened the town. Men stripped to the waist, the banker and the ditch digger side by side, the farmer and the merchant toiled frantically to reinforce the levee with bags of sand, stone, cement, anything they could find, while the river lapped hungrily at their feet, trying to undermine the embankment as quickly as it was built up. Back in them were others, filling the sandbags, bulldozing additional strength to the levee, hauling truckloads of sand and rock and gravel, digging, shoveling, filling, anything they could do. I'd never seen a more dedicated group of people, men, women, children, all working in a common cause, not just for themselves, but for the survival of their neighbors, their town. And the ugly river was like a thing alive, clawing at them, seeking to destroy them. Huge floating masses of debris flew by at express train speed whirling now and then to strike out at the embankment, fighting to break it down. Thousands of tons of wreckage, parts of houses, chicken coops, trees and brush, anything that would float. I stood there appalled and almost overwhelmed by a feeling of utter helplessness. Can't they see? If they were up here on this hill, they could see that they're losing ground, Johnny. The river's rising faster than they can build up the levee. Yeah, Lee, yeah, it looks that way. What's the matter with you guys? Can't you see they need help down there? Anybody doesn't help, I'll be shot. Oh, he's right, Johnny. We ought to go down there and help for whatever it's worth. Wait. That one section where they're all working. It's right above the cut in the Ferry Street. If the levee goes there, it'll sweep the whole section down the valley into the Ohio River. But look, Lee. Look, back there, what? behind us. The reason why the water's piling up. Don't you see? 
That old railroad bridge. The trees, the mud, the ruffle, it's piled up against it. That railroad trestle has become a regular dam. Hey, you're right. The more of that debris piling up there, the stronger it gets. And the higher it gets, too. With the water mounting up behind it that way, the levee over Perry Street will go in a matter of minutes. Right. But break that dam somehow, and the water will get through. Down the crooked river into the Ohio. Yeah. Break that dam, and it'll save the town. Yes. Oh, but how, Johnny? How? Yeah, how? Act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. And now for another episode in the life of Sergeant Donald Bellwether, my husband. Reba, when are you going to serve dinner? Oh, in a few minutes, dear. Okay, I'll see you later. Wait a minute, Donald. Huh? I want you to hear my speech. You mean the safety speech for the PTA meeting? Mm-hmm. Oh, come on. Do I have to? You want dinner? You blackmailer. Okay, where do you want me to sit? On the sofa? No, no, no. In the dining room. The... I've got to practice projecting my voice. Uh, projecting your voice? Are you kidding? <laughs> anyway. Uh, h- how's this? Oh, that's fine. <clears throat> okay, now, after the president introduces me, I'll say, Madam Chair Lady, parents, visitors. According to the National Safety Council, last year in the United States, 4,450 youngsters under 15 years were killed in traffic accidents. How many? Oh, please, Donald, don't interrupt. 4,450. Oh, that's an awful lot. Yes, dear, it is. Well, then I go on to say, ladies and gentlemen, how can we help prevent traffic accidents from killing and maiming our youngsters? We must remember that children will act like children. Therefore, when we drive by schools, playgrounds, and the neighborhoods where children are playing, we must act like mature adults and be on the sharp lookout for that sudden ball bouncing across the street with a little child running after. That's very good, honey. As soon as children are old enough to understand, it is up to us, the parents, to instill in their minds the dangers of playing near traffic. Children must be taught to obey all safety rules and safety patrols, to board and alight from the school bus without horseplay. And above all, we adults should obey all safety rules because children mimic their parents. Well, honey, you act and talk just like a professional speaker. <laughs> well, thanks. You know, you're really good. I'm proud of you. Oh, that's my Donald. That's my doll. <laughs> Now, act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Wayward River Matter. From our vantage point on the hill above the little town of Carteret, we could see why the Crooked River was rising so fast, threatening to engulf the town. You're right, Johnny. The debris against the old railroad trestle has made a dam. And somehow we've got to break that dam. But how? Leave. Yeah? Any stores down there, any of them carry dynamite? Yeah, down there on Perry Street. Norlock Supply Company. And come on. Uh, Norlock's one of my biggest clients. If the levee breaks, his place will take the brunt of the flood. There, you see down there? He has men putting sandbags around him. They won't mean a thing if the levee goes. 
Why doesn't he send those men back on up to the river's edge where they can do some good? Uh, Johnny, he's, he's the only man in town looking after his personal property. The only one selfish enough to... Say, listen, he's also the man who's always opposed doing something about this river. Save your breath, Lee. We've got to get down there and get some dynamite. The groups we passed, still vainly trying to chink up holes in the levee, all but spat on us as we passed. Because we weren't working with them, trying to save their town from the raging Crooked River, or so they thought. Finally, we slogged our way to the Norlock Supply Company on Berry Street. More sand. Faster! Still those bags didn't get around my place. The levee goes, it'll all come down here. More sandbags, more! You're crazy, Mr. Norlock. You're wasting your time. What? Mr. Hawkins! Why, if that levee goes, nothing will save this place of yours. He's right, Norlock. Get your men on up to the levee where they'll do some good. Sure, sure, but then you've had the insurance of my place and swept away. It won't be if we save the town. We need dynamite. Who are you? Oh, this is Johnny Dollar. Insurance investigator? What are you doing here? Look, look, there's no time to stand around and talk. We need dynamite, a lot of it. What for? Well, the wreckage from up the river. It's jammed against the old railroad trestle south of town. And it's made a regular dam. That's what's backing up the water. I know. I've seen. You're going to blow that up? That's right. Now, where's the dynamite? Anybody go out on that trestle with the pressure of the river against it, he's crazy. Any part of that goes, he'll go with it. He'll be killed. He's right, mister. Be suicide to go up there. Come on. Let's have the dynamite. And you men, yeah. get up above where you can help. Now you wait Load that truck with all the bags you can, but get up there fast. It's but my place here. What about my shoulder? Norlock, where's that dynamite? I won't give it to you. Oh, listen, Mr. Norlock. I refuse. It'd be suicide if you to go out on that railroad trestle. But if we don't, the whole town will go. And I tell you, I... Mr. Dollar, are you threatening to shoot me? Put that away. Oh, oh, Johnny, wait. Let me handle this, Lee. You're crazy, Dollar. Put that gun away. All right, Norlock, it's up to you. What do you mean? Unless you give us the dynamite, I'll blast the lock off this place of yours and get it myself. Well? All right. All right. In here. But I tell you, you're mad. Always Norlock mad, a victim of the panic that all too often seizes a man when the going gets tough. But he did give us the dynamite. Then, with two of his workmen, Lee Harkins and I trudged through the mud and the night loaded with cases of dynamite back to the old railroad trestle. And when we got there, I wondered if maybe Norlock wasn't right after all, if it wouldn't be suicide to go out on it. The pileup of debris against it was huge. Back of it, the deadly brown water swirled and eddied, throwing telegraph poles, railroad ties, huge trees pounding against it, battering at the old framework of the trestle. If only they'd strike hard enough to break it down, break the dam. Perhaps they would. By that time, the town of Carteret would be lost. Yes, somebody had to do this job, and it looked like I'd elected myself. not quite clear on what happened during that next 20 or 30 minutes. They seemed like 30 years of nightmare. But I edged my way out on that rickety framework, a fused case of dynamite under my arm. It was dark, and I had to feel my way along over planks and boards and trees that the force of the water had thrown up on the trestle. The wires leading back to the plunger that would set off the charge would catch and drag, but I knew I had to reach the first long span to make the explosive do its work. And all the while, the old bridge creaked and groaned and shook from the impact of the wreckage being thrown against it by the angry water. But then, finally, the job was done. And I felt my way back to the bank. Hurry, Johnny! Hurry! Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I'm coming. Everything ready here. Don't you see? The levee above. It's starting to go. Back over the town, there's a gap. The water's rushing down. Okay, Lee, the plunger. Yes, All ready. All right, then lie down. Quick, get down. Here she goes. of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. Do you know who said, my political ideal is democracy. Everyone should be respected as an individual, but no one idolized. I am convinced that degeneracy follows every autocratic system of violence, for violence inevitably attracts moral inferiors. Time has proved that illustrious tyrants are succeeded by scoundrels. Those words were written by the great scientist... Albert Einstein. Einstein saw the weaknesses of a government in which too much power was centered in too few people, a government based upon violence. Einstein saw the danger of elevating a person to so high a level that he might seize power to which he was not entitled. Such a situation is not in the American tradition. Remember the words of Albert Einstein. They are part of your American heritage. Degeneracy follows every autocratic system of violence. And now, Act Three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Wayward River Matter. The charge of dynamite on the old railroad bridge had broken the dam that the angry river had thrown up against it, had released the little town from the threat of being washed down the valley into the Ohio River. The men and women and children, spent from having struggled against the raging water throughout the night and all the day before, went quietly back to their homes and farms to rest and sleep. And nature, defeated, gave up. The rain stopped and the skies cleared. Even the charging yellow waters of the Crooked River seemed to diminish in a sort of frustration. What damage had been done to the town could wait now until the people were rested, refreshed. As Lee Harkins and I plodded wearily over to the village inn, I noticed that the streets were deserted. Yeah, even as the long gray fingers of dawn reached up into the sky, the town, exhausted, slept. Unmindful of the rooster in someone's backyard who sought to rouse it. Nor did we rouse the innkeeper, but picked a couple of rooms and settled down to rest our weary bones. But I couldn't sleep. Somewhere in the back of my brain, a little worry began to form, to peck away at me. In all of Carteret the night before, there'd been one man and one man only who'd ignored the common good to look after his own selfish interests. I went into Lee's room and awakened him. Oh, oh. No, Johnny, later. Come on, come on. I'm so dead I can hardly go back to sleep. Where? No, come on. Just a couple of questions, Lee. Listen to me. Oh, why don't you let me sleep? Over a hundred thousand insurance, you said. Uh, yeah, a hundred and 
Oh, I don't know. Well, if you yeah. ask me, that's too much for a business of any kind in a town this size. Much too much. So maybe I gave him a break on his valuation. Yeah. You know, to, to help sign up some of the other merchants. But 100000 of insurance money would give him enough to live on the rest of his life. Oh, now, look, why, why don't you go back to bed, Lee, Johnny? Lee, he knew about that dam at the railroad trestle. And so far as I could see, he was the only one who did. Well, everybody else was so busy at the levee. But did he try to do anything about it? No. Instead, he went through the motions of trying to protect his property. But he knew that if that levee broke, nothing would save him. All right, all right. Chalk it up to panic. Panic, uh, huh? He fought to keep us from getting that dynamite, the one thing that could save the town. He kept those workmen away from where they might have done some good, at the levee. He alone wanted that levee to break. But good heavens, Johnny, you... What? You're right. You must be. Yeah, I'm right. I'm going out and look for Mr. Fred Norlock. Yeah, but there isn't a soul out there. Everybody. Maybe. That's what I want to find out. I found Fred Norlock alone. Up on the inner bank, the riverside of the levee, where anyone down below couldn't see him. And he was working with a shovel, a crowbar. Beside him was a pile of dynamite. I'd given him that idea. All right, Norlock, lay down that shovel. Oh, it. The river didn't do it the way you planned last night, did it? Maybe not. Because of you, but you're not going to stop me now. Oh, now put that thing down. I'll kill you, Dollar, if you come any closer. And nobody will know because there's nobody around. I'll throw your body in the river. Nobody will ever know. Sure. Set up a small charge, enough to breach the levee. That's right. It's all ready, and you can't stop it. And the river will crash through, destroy that feeling business of yours down there. Yes. And take with it the homes in the valley, the livestock, maybe even the people. Keep your hand away from that pocket. So it's you or me, huh? And if I go, the town goes too. Yes. But if I can outdraw this you... This pistol is aimed at your chest. Now you walk straight ahead to the edge of the river. Norlock's body was never recovered. He'd lived alone. He died alone. A crooked man in the crooked river. Nor was he mourned in the little town he'd tried to destroy. Expense account total, including transportation back to Hartford, $100 even. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, originates in Hollywood and is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone, who also wrote today's story. Heard in our cast were Chet Stratton, Frank Gerstle, Bob Bruce, and Parley Bear. Special sound patterns by Tom Hanley and Bill James. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Roy Rowan speaking. <laughs> 